I'm Kelsey. I'm Cassie. And I'm Nolan from SCP Weekly. We bring you news from on-site and off-site. And we share your love for the creative community that surrounds the SCP Wiki. Join us on Tuesdays for new episodes, wherever you listen to podcasts, or on YouTube at SCP Weekly. The file you are about to hear has been thoroughly scrutinized by the Ethics Committee and approved by the O5 Council for release to trusted associates of the Foundation. This is SCP Unredacted. Content warning. This story contains gore and graphic imagery, transphobia, dead naming, strong language, blasphemy, domestic abuse and violence, mental and emotional abuse, mentions of sexual abuse and violence, and excessive self-harm. Item number, SCP-7603, ARC. Level one, unrestricted. Containment class, safe. Secondary class, Draugr. Disruption class, dark. Risk class, notice. Special containment procedures. SCP-7603 is contained in a standard foundation container. Neither Primrose Faddish Von Trevel Esquire nor Captain Adrian are permitted access to the object until proceedings for full neutralization are concluded. The object is subject to regular Tartarian resonance energy monitoring. Description SCP-7603 is the sapient, pseudo-indestructible skeleton of the royal Tartarian entity, Babylon. Through empathetic readings, it has been determined that this entity is able to hear its surroundings, despite not possessing auditory sensory organs. The object gives off trace amounts of TRE radiation, comparable to 12% of what would be expected of the typical, complete Tartarian specimen. The object appears to be the skull of a jackal-like species, most closely resembling that of a golden jackal, Canis aureus. However, it is notably larger than that of a typical member of the species it mimics, and is comprised of soul stuff. The object does not possess nerve or sinus entry points, its brain case being completely airtight. Like the typical skull of a Tartarian entity, the object is almost entirely indestructible. Only implements blessed against Tartarian entities are capable of penetrating it. However, this would risk destroying the object. Inside its brain case is an amount of cranial soul stuff, which functions as its brain. When held or touched by a Tartarian entity, that subject is capable of forming a temporary, one-way empathetic link with the object. The Tartarian subject is capable of sensing the apparent emotional state of the object, which is often described as unwell. Addendum 
Date, 13 August 2022. Location, Site 666. Personnel present, Sheldon Katz, Esquire, Legal Department. Primrose Fadish Von Trevel, Esquire, Independent Contractor. Begin log. Firstly, thank you for doing this for me, Sheldon. I greatly appreciate your assistance in this matter, as well as assisting Adrian with their boat. This matter is very personal to me. Of course, all I'm doing is being a middleman. But, yeah, let's begin. Primrose Fatish von Trevel, Esquire, you're motioning for the full decommission, SCP-7603. You're doing this on the basis that there is nothing more to learn from this entity and that this presents an ethics concern. Before we get to your argument, we have one question. How did you come to know of the entity? Thank you. I had been familiarizing myself with the Level 1 documentation of all objects in Site 666 and discovered that the entity was in your custody. Also relevant, allow me to state my bias in this matter. I am the daughter of Babylon the Great, or as you label her, SCP-7603. I have a personal and familial relation to this entity. That being said, I feel the argument for decommissioning is one worth making. Much appreciated. You may proceed. My motion to decommission stems from two main points. The lack of significant research opportunity and the humane treatment of sapient objects. Most relevantly, the entity does not represent any prospects for research opportunity because she is identical to every other demon who has had their soul stuff stripped away from them. This is a well-researched phenomenon amongst both demons and angels. I am to believe the primary reason the entity is given a designation and protections is because she is Babylon, and while that is a reason for containment, I do not believe there is a reason to allow her to persist in her current state. This is coming from someone who knows that attempts to restore her to an able-bodied state are currently impossible. Hell has spent countless resources attempting to restore high-value persons of interest from this state for over a millennia. The development may come eventually, but I have doubts that it will come within a time frame that is reasonably humane. Additionally, little to no information can be gathered from her. She is only capable of establishing brief, empathetic links to a demon that is holding her. One could tell when she is sad, angry, shell-shocked, etc. But she could never give a proper testimony because demons are incapable of controlling what is projected through empathetic link. There is no happy for yes, sad for no. It is how we feel. And lastly, keeping her alive is cruel. She is effectively in a conscious coma, unable to act or communicate in a significant manner. Furthermore, most demons have reported that her mind state is unwell. We are able to tell that she is suffering from her mere physical existence. Closing Statement Keeping her alive is both cruel and unnecessary. This is not an argument for her release into my custody. This is euthanasia. 
It is a common sentiment for containment by agencies like the Foundation to be considered a form of burial. I simply wish to end my mother's needless suffering. End log. Notice. This file has been archived and is currently out of date. Update file to the latest version. I did not want to hurt anyone. In fact, when I learned that demons could only be killed by holy weaponry, I felt relief. Living as and amongst demons, it meant I could not kill anyone. But Father was quick to remind me that there are fates worse than death, and that I was expected to deal out a lot of hurt. If I did not meet that quota, he was quicker to remind me that he was capable of meeting it himself. Today, we as a family were to appear at the twice-weekly dinner party. The barons of the Seventh Circle got together and exchanged gossip and business advice. I, as Pluto, son of Babylon and Therian Thelemon, heir to the throne of violence, was expected to surpass all expectations. And yet, I had failed firearms practice. I had also failed my Execution 101 class for refusal to butcher the convict they brought before me. Father was meant to boast of my marks tonight, and we were to celebrate over a meal I had helped prepare. By failing, I had embarrassed him. Yes, I could not accurately fire a gun for the life of me, but that is an issue of skill. The latter had been willful, idiotic disobedience. I looked at myself in the mirror, disgusted. I could not even summon the strength to slaughter a common criminal, so it should go without saying that I did not deserve to be comfortable with the way I look. While the concept of being dressed up in formal attire had always appealed to me, I did not feel right in anything. I did not feel right in my very soul, truth be told. I had hoped that maybe it was because I had not grown into my crown yet. However, I doubted three flames appearing over my head would magically fix my self-image. Father opened my bedroom door. You are not going to attend dinner tonight, he sneered. All you had to do was commit a simple fucking execution, but you couldn't even do that right, could you? Frankly, I'm embarrassed to even be seen talking to you right now. If anyone asks, tell them you're sick, understood? Yes, sir. I sighed, kept my head low and avoided eye contact. He stormed off. I sat at my desk and let my head fall onto its surface before I shrugged out of my coat. At least I did not have to smile and pretend everything was fine. A few moments later, there was a faint knock at the door before my mother poked her head in. Pluto, I just wanted to check in on you. May I come in? You may, I replied, my voice muffled from my face still pressing against my desk. I soon felt her hand on my shoulder. Come on, sit up, look at me. I could not bear to see her face right now, but I pulled my head up regardless. You are capable of so much more. We know you are. You will always be my little rose petal. Yes, your skills with riflery are lacking, but 
That isn't the only form of violence out there. It's the weakest, if you ask me. I did not want to say that I hated when she called me that, but I felt flustered. So you are saying that what happened today does not matter. I tilted my head to hear her more clearly. Well, your father is right about one thing. You do need to accept that you have to kill people, including other demons. I do not have a problem with killing mortals. They do not truly die. They just become like us. But when it comes to other demons, I just cannot. I sighed and looked away from her. She gently slid her hand under my snout and propped my chin up. I understand, Rose Petal. I, myself, am not at all comfortable with your father's skull room. Resigning someone to that fate is cruel in my eyes. It is why I put so much research into regressing demons into soul gems via demonic weaponry. It allows for a quick, merciful death with no waste. But I'm not as strong as I was before you were born. I can't protect you from everything, dear. If there was one motivator for getting me over my reservations against violence, it would not have been protecting myself. It would be protecting her. How do you do it? How do you have the courage to end someone's existence? Well, I certainly wouldn't call it courage. It's more. A purpose. A reason. When I kill, it is with the knowledge that it was for the betterment of all. Additionally, their soul stuff goes to a worthy cause. And father's reason? Tradition. Entertainment. Wanton self-indulgence. Power as well, mother listed. She never did hide her distaste for father. If our marriage had not been arranged, I would not be bothering with such a man. Her marriage and my eventual conception was demanded by the Thelemon royal family to secure an heir to the throne of violence. When demons give birth, they must give a portion of their own soul to their offspring resulting in them losing a significant amount of their power. It is expected that both parents equally contribute, but my father refused to give up any of his own power, forcing my mother to relinquish most of hers. She had not been Babylon the Great for a very long time now, and it was for my sake. I, I am sorry for what you went through on my account. No, no, Pluto. You didn't do anything wrong. You don't have to apologize, but soon, dear. Soon we will not have to deal with him. Still, in one regard, he's right. In order to inherit the throne of violence, you must be better. I know you can do it, but I don't want you to do it for me or Therian. I want you to become a proper lord and earn the throne for you. I paused. But what if I do not want to be a lord? Oh, what would you rather be? Well, whores can take the throne as well, yes? A, a whore. Like me. This time, she tilted her head. Yes, like you, mostly. I would put my own spin to it, of course, but I wish to help people. I wish to teach, to use my power, my position, and my talents for the benefit of everyone, to uplift them just like you do. 
Oh, Rose Petal. That's an admirable goal, but it won't be easy. You know that, right? Even for me. Between Therian and the other barons of the Seventh Circle stymieing the many attempts at social welfare and charity, I feel like I've failed more often than I succeeded. Mother sighed sadly. For all her power and privilege, she was still only one person against a system determined to make sure the peasants knew their place and the rich continued to grow fat. But I think you'll be different, Pluto. Mother smiled, her sadness now eclipsed by warmth as she looked at me. You will succeed where I failed. It may be difficult, but I know you were up for it. Whores may be traditionally women, or at least feminine leaning, but a male whore is far from unheard of. Thank you, Mother. I still felt dejected, but Mother always knew what to say to help me feel better. She looked me over slowly before she spoke, carefully. Pluto, how are you? How are you feeling? How do you mean? Well, are you comfortable? I, I suppose I lied. Well, you know that I will support you regardless. Of course, I am just happy I do not have to be a lord. I partially lied. I did not look forward to playing the role of a lord, but I knew that was not the only thing. It went skin deep. Good, good. You know that you still have to kill other demons if you're a whore, right? Whores might actually kill more demons. They do? Oh, well, I still want to become a whore. Mother hummed for a moment. Is there any other particular reason you want to be a whore? You want to help people? I guess. I do not know. I was at a loss for words. I did not know why myself. It was a respected position, of course, but I think I just want to be more like you. She blinked in surprise before she smiled back at me. Pluto, no matter how you earn your seat at the throne, I know that you will make me proud. You will always be my little rose petal. Try not to let this get to you, dear. I love you, and I know you'll get through this. She beamed. I tried to be positive for her sake, but I simply could not. At most, I managed to eke out a weak, lopsided smile. She noticed and sighed softly, rubbing my chin. Do you remember when we started your pyromancy classes? Yes, I do. I distinctly remember being awful at it. I could recall all my failed attempts at manifesting fire. At the start, all I could manage was an ember, small and pathetic like I was. Well, I don't remember it that way. I remember a hard-working and intelligent young man who spent days mastering control over a flame. You went from a spark to an ember and finally to a whole bonfire. She rested her hand on my head and gently patted. I know how Therian treats you like you're a failure. I promise you are anything but... With the right kind of support, I know you are capable of achieving anything you want to. I... Maybe you are right. Well, of course I am, silly. I am your mother, after all. She giggled, and I could not help but smile back. 
Oh, how about this? We can have a nice day out tomorrow, just the both of us. We'll go check out that new brimstone creamery they opened up in town, and maybe afterwards we could go shopping for clothes, too. Get you something really nice. I... I think I would like that. I nodded. Salted cinnamon and time with mother always managed to cheer me up. I'll always love you, my little rose petal. Never forget that. We exchanged hugs and she left me to myself. I did not see much point in studying, not in the state I was in. I simply took off my remaining clothes and went to lie down. I envied the living for their ability to sleep naturally. I could not. No demon and angel could without the help of medical aid. I opened my drawer to find my inhaler of dream smoke completely empty. I sighed, slammed the drawer shut, and closed my eyes tight. Though I did not require it, I would have loved to sleep past this entire event. But instead, I heard the whole party. The servants set up the tables, the guests shuffled in, and the bands played the ceremony for the binding of Raphael in G minor. There have been crude attempts to recreate that song in the living worlds, but I take comfort in knowing the authentic work is at least a luxury that we in Inferno can enjoy. I wondered if Father knew that I could hear the goings-on past my room. I could hear the whole house in reality. I have unintentionally eavesdropped on many of his conversations, but either he did not know or care. My son, Pluto, is doing so well in his education. He got perfect scores in knife throwing and polearm training, you know. Oh, and his core classes? All perfect. He will make a fine king once I retire. Or if I retire, that is. He laughed, as did many others. Where is the lad, anyway? Oh, he's under the weather. We're letting him rest in his room. Of course, that was a careful withholding of information to save face. I do have to admit, Father's policy of never technically lying was a good one. By some metrics, I did do very well. But I am expected to be perfect in all things. One should not be able to cherry-pick my flaws. So, from there on out, perfect is what I had to be. Ah, well, I wish him a speedy recovery. Abominations do tend to recover quick. Perhaps that's a good thing for him. I heard that Pluto's gift is rather self-destructive. Father chuckled. We were bred for war, and Pluto's more than capable of exploiting his gift. I made sure that kid's regeneration goes into overdrive. Would hate for him to bleed his power all over the place on the front lines. I could redirect half the harm I received to someone else. It was the type of ability that only worked if you had the resources to improve upon and exploit it. Everyone had a particular quirk, but it is only apparent after one consumes enough soul stuff. Since my gift only works one way, it is a great punitive tool, but I hesitated to use it offensively. To hurt myself was hard, especially for the purpose of hurting others. Just another thing I had to get over. I heard someone try to get Father's attention. She was an imp, likely our head handmaid. King Therian, if I may, you have a package from the Red Dragon. I heard the faint clang of metal, likely from the sound of one of our serving trays. Is this what I think it is? Father whispered. Indeed it is. 
The Red Dragon accomplished his assignments just this afternoon. I have set an appointment to arrange payment after the party is over. Excellent. Did he say anything? He said that he had sustained severe injuries during the assignment and depleted most of his munitions. Of course, he's fucking complaining again. I'll throw him a bonus, if it'll get that little pussy to stop whining. Of course, my king, she said with as much respect as she could muster. Everyone, I have an announcement. He got to his feet and presumably snatched the tray from her. He waited for everyone to quiet down before he spoke again. We've been talking a lot recently about the expansion of the Seventh Circle. Our circle is the benefactor of the most prevalent sin in all the living worlds. A sin so simple, violence toward others. Even mere animals are capable of committing it. But we can be so much more, can't we? Murmurs of agreement flared up amongst the crowd. It was at this point that my curiosity had gotten the best of me, and I decided to sneak out of my room to more properly observe Father's announcement. I took position from upstairs, out of sight, and silently watched. Last cycle, we were able to expand violence to include concepts directed towards oneself. And so, suicide has been added to our portfolio. But why stop there? Abstracting the concept of violence has proved to be the most effective way to expand. But we hit a wall. A lot of the concepts we wish to acquire for ourselves had been owned by other lords. Until today. As his smile stretched wide, he lifted the tray's lid with a flourish. I present to you the skulls of Selmoth, the late lord of sodomy, Gardruth, the late lord of addiction, and Jagannoth, the late lord of blasphemy. I have killed them and acquired these sins for our portfolio. And with the right to these new sins, we are projected to become the strongest of the nine circles. Father merely chuckled when he noticed the Baron's confusion. Allow me to explain. It all starts with the acquisition of blasphemy. What is blasphemy, though? Heaven dictates the meaning of sin, and as such, they have defined it as speaking out against heaven's authority. Additionally, they consider speech to be a form of violence. He started to pace, but at a calm, measured speed. It was the kind of walk that let people know who ran this circle, as he liked to put it. I noticed a trend. Taking into account multiple living worlds, when mortals gain access to technology that makes information more readily available, heresy drops while blasphemy heightens. Securing blasphemy would diversify and expand the Seventh Circle's portfolio with speculative sin. Additionally, the Sixth Circle now can no longer be called the Circle of Malediction. Without blasphemy, he brought his hands together in one thunderous clap. All they have to their name is heresy, a sin that only decreases in value. I could hear Mother stammer, then faintly growl. From the outside, she looked calm, poised even, but I could tell she was furious. He ignored Mother and gave the partygoers his full attention. He held up the late Lord Sulmoth's skull before he idly tossed it back and forth in his hands like a common hacky sack. But I would not commit to such a bold act if the only benefit was speculative. 
we have stolen sodomy from Solmoth of the Second Circle, Lust. The sin of sodomy has been bastardized repeatedly and has only proven to expand in definition. It originally meant disrespecting a guest, but has expanded to include anal and oral sex, the latter of which are insanely common amongst intelligent mortals and has been considered an act against heaven in the past. The acquisition of blasphemy allows us to harbor this sin, as well as many others. I have stolen sodomy to act as a potent demonstration of how easy it would be to simply take the most valuable sins. And finally, we have addiction from the fourth circle, greed. Greed famously causes addiction, whether it be in the selling of drugs and creature comforts or simple gambling. By taking yet another product of their sin, we have made them completely dependent on us. They are forced to feed into us delicious snow. Even I was impressed at this point. Greed had mostly been monopolizing on non-sexual desires up till this point. That would certainly hurt their bottom line. With just these three acquisitions, I predict our expansion to quicken tenfold, conservatively speaking. Friends, we are looking at a very, very good future for violence. He raised his hands up to applaud, because that is what followed. It was smart reasoning, but even I knew that killing three lords from three different circles would cause an uproar. He must have had a plan. So did you kill all three of them before this party, as in hours ago, a raspy voice asked. They likely came from under the river. Well, of course. I have to set a good example for my son, don't I? He chuckled, which prompted everyone else to follow suit. The party went on for a while after that, but I had already seen enough. I took the opportunity to return back to my room and looked out my bedroom window to see if I could catch sight of the red dragon. Sure enough, he was there with a Focalore Griffin 50 caliber anti-material rifle by his side. He sat on our doorstep, wrapped in bloody and torn armor, bullet holes and gashes riddled the outer protective plating and managed to punch through the padded layer and skin suit beneath it, tearing large chunks of his flesh out. One of his legs seemed to have been bent the wrong way, and I am certain that something was sticking out from his torso. If he was not sitting straight up, the distant stare on his face would have told me he was dead. No burning crown or angelic glory sat on his head either, despite him clearly being an adult. It unsettled me to think about how he may not even be an angel or a demon, even more so given his line of work. I was under the impression that demons and angels were the strongest beings in the known universes, but this man killed both for a living, for my father no less. And he was alone. People came back and forth from our estate and made active attempts to avoid him without a single person offering help. In the end, he gave so much to father and did not get anything meaningful back. What finally pulled my attention away from the red dragon was when I picked up mother yelling at father in her bedroom. Are you fucking insane? We're going to have all the other circles of Inferno at our throats. We're going to have every part of Inferno after us. What the fuck have you done? Mother screamed. 
I did not need such fine hearing to hear that. Do you even care that you put your family in danger because of this? That they would hurt our son? He's old enough, he'll be fine. And you know what, big fucking deal. If he dies, he dies. We'll just make a new one. There was a long silence between the two of them. Mother finally spoke up. I cannot believe you just said that. You know what, I hope they come for us. Maybe it'll get Pluto to be useful for once, instead of hiding between your legs crying like a complete fucking failure. Do you even begin to comprehend how doomed we are now? Relax, they aren't going to do a thing. Why? What would possibly stop them from busting down our door the moment they link it back to us? She asked, though her voice trailed off toward the end, as if she realized something. You know what? I heard the rumble in his voice. I've told you so many times to allow me access to your research for demonic soul compression. You know how easy it would be to utilize it into something that would wipe out entire circles. You have it behind so much cosmic red tape to prevent anyone but you and your heir from using it. Mother inhaled. I trust Pluto with this more than you. I made it exclusive to myself so I could develop a more humane death for people unfortunate enough to be butchered. To be frank, you should be thankful it was my team who secured this first. Otherwise, someone would be planning to do exactly what you're trying to do. I patented this research out of mercy. Well, don't you sound like a fucking angel. Nothing but excuses. You did it because giving up half of your soul for that boy crippled your power. I can't even design a weapon around the same concept because of you and that fucking fork. Now, I think I've been kind enough to allow you to keep it until now, but I'm not going to wait around for you to give in. Give it to me. Now. No. I am not going to sacrifice eight entire circles for your- Mother was cut off by the sound of rattling chains and the impact of metal on wood. She must have dodged. You fucking psycho! Chaos erupted. It was a hideous cacophony of snarls, splintered wood, and the rattle of frozen chains. Mother's ability was in the same vein as mine. The more blood she shed, the stronger she became. In wars of attrition, she was usually the victor. Additionally, she was always armed. Her pitchfork, Blood Rose, could appear in her hands any time she needed it. But father's Caucasian chains were all enveloping and even more constricting. He did not need to break skin, and he was more than capable of disarming her. I quickly tried to put something on, as the ringing of cold iron and yelps of pain rang in my ears. By the time I reached for the door, I heard it. One heavy impact, preceding a stifled gasp, followed by panting and choking. I was too late to do anything. Father let out an exasperated laugh. You know, I always wondered which of us was the strongest. If it were before I knocked you up, you would have won. But having that boy made you soft, made you weak. It's about the only useful thing that boy's ever done for me. But don't you worry, I'll be correcting the rest of his faults right after this. I heard one final attempt at freedom. 
One final desperate struggle, then sound of flesh being torn from bone, a wet thud, then the clang of metal as blood rose hit the floor. Pity. Guess you can't give me another air. I could not move. Time and space felt frozen from the realization of what happened. She was gone. Worse than gone. I knew what father was going to be doing for the next hour. That is, butchering what was left of her. Until the only thing left was her helpless, conscious skull. And there was nothing I could do about it. I did not even notice the music stop until it came back on again, like Babylon the Great had not been murdered. If I had confronted him then, I would have been subjected myself to the same fate. I heard him pick up Mother's pitchfork with one of his chains. He opened the door and walked down the hall toward my room. Reflexes kicked in, and I slunk back to my desk, pretending to study, oblivious to what had happened. He thankfully passed by my room and headed straight toward his office, likely to put Mother's fork in the safe. He did not stay long, because he went right back to Mother's room to handle her, prevent her from coming back in any capacity. The image of Mother's severed head could not leave my mind then, and never has, and never will. I wanted to cry, but I could not. Physically, I could not let myself cry. All I knew was that I was too late for her, but I will be blessed before I allow father to carry on with her fork. I breathed in. I needed to leave. I got together a few things I thought I might need, a hoodie and shorts, ritual dagger and backpack, my school books replaced with some survivalist keepsakes from my time as a boy scout. The seventh circle consisted mostly of blood rivers and swampland, so I had to dress with that in mind if I were to literally run away. I left my room and snuck toward father's office. He used the same four-digit code for everything in this house, so getting past the safe was a non-issue. I hooked blood rose to my back, careful not to prick myself on its thorns, and headed down the stairs. I did not care that I was seen dressed like a commoner with mother's pitchfork strapped to me, because neither did they. Not really. When they saw me, they saw an obligation to smile at best. At worst, they saw an opportunity for clout. I walked out the front door and saw the red dragon sitting on our steps. With the amount of blood and gore drenched over him, he smelled like a seraphim. The fact that he had not been helped yet was the only thing that stopped me in my tracks. If I did not help, then I was no better than the people I was leaving behind. No better than father. You are the red dragon, yes? May I help you? I asked. No. He stared forward and did not look at me. I realized that may have come off as a rhetorical question, so I was more specific. I mean with your injuries. I can assist with healing wounds. He looked up at me, emotionless. Did Therian send you? He did not. I saw you from my window and noticed that you needed help. Technically not a lie. I would rather him not know where I was going. He did not respond with words. He nodded. And I got to work. Restorative magic was something that came naturally. 
but this was the first time I helped fix a leg. That required me to reset the bone manually. This will hurt, I said, getting in position for his leg. Do you need something to bite on? No. Very well. Going to do it in three, two, one. I gave his leg a hard tug and heard a sickening crack, an indication of my relative success. He did not flinch. There. The rest should be easy enough. Your Therian son. Why are you doing this? He finally asked. Because you need help. There does not need to be an explanation beyond that. I grabbed my dagger, sliced the back of my hand open, and used my blood as a magical component to seal his wounds. He resumed his stare. I sensed an opportunity to speak, and I could not help but break the silence. Why work for someone who cares this little for you? He looked at me. Same reason anyone wishes to be near Therian. His money... I could not think of a response, not immediately at least, but before I finished dressing his wounds, I spoke. Nothing would ever be good enough for father. He would just take and take, and when you could no longer give, he would take more anyway. Money is all he brings. I gave him a final once over. I finished bandaging up the more serious wounds and stood up. My novice magic ensured he would be fully healed in a few hours. Take care of yourself. I will be seeing you. The red dragon regarded me silently, boring a hole through my skull with his stare. I should have chosen my words better. For your sake, I hope not. I had been walking for about an hour now. I realized far too late that I should have brought some money for a taxi or ferry, but it allowed me time to reflect. On one hand, I wondered if what I was doing was the correct course of action. Where was I going? What would I do when I got there? How would that solve anything? This was meaningless. All I had managed to do was walk a few kilometers through the orchard of suicidal souls. On the other hand, thankfully no longer bleeding, I physically needed to get as far away as possible from the filth that was my father. Thankfully no one was here to find me in the orchard, since it was dry season. There wasn't any point to anyone working now since this was around the time the trees ruined their fruit by deliberately setting themselves on fire, which they do with great efficiency. Emerging from the orchard, my instincts led me toward downtown. It was essentially a series of commercial areas not too far from our estate, built next to the semi-defunct farm father ran, Therian Produce. It used to be a standard farm that took advantage of the suicidal souls, hourly wages, housing, and meager benefits, except father discovered that it was cheaper to pay people per pound of usable apples they bring in and hire them as independent contractors. All I know about the decision was that this made many people very upset, and Father said it funded my entire education. A trip down the river would have made this journey last about three minutes, even less time if I had learned how to teleport. 
but I just had to learn pyromancy and practice my proficiency with firearms instead. I sighed. At least I got my cardio in today. I did not have any plan, nor did I have the money for a motel. The only thing I had was some worthless junk and a weapon of cosmic destruction strapped to my back, which stood as my only keepsake of mother. Father was certain to come and find me, so I figured my best option was to head toward the homeless encampments along the river. He would not dream of setting foot there. I walked through downtown's main boulevard, Death Fruit Road, the Seventh Circle's biggest shopping, dining, and entertainment hub. I relished every trip I took here with Mother. This place was our escape from Father's constant pressure and expectations. A place where Mother and I could enjoy ourselves, even if it was not for long. I was naive, of course. We could never escape him. He owned half this street, and before he turned this place into the Circle's biggest commercial hub, it was the residential district for the farm workers. After he fired them all, he had them evicted from their homes and turned their misery into profit. Most of the people who once lived here now live at the homeless camp by the river. The happiness I found in those moments of mother and I spending time here leaked out when I learned that, and with her death, this place held nothing but pain. I felt a lump in my throat as I remembered her promise to take me here for ice cream. I walked with my head hung low. The massive holographic billboards above bombarded me with neon-lit ads. I kept walking until I noticed a crowd of people had gathered around one broadcasting the evening news. Therian assassinates three lords to expand portfolio. Lust, greed, and malediction want Therian's head. Nothing that I did not already know or deduce on my own, nor anything about my escape which could be good, as that meant no one had discovered my disappearance. What I cared more about was what people were saying. I found a nearby bench and spotted two other demons sitting by the bench next to me. The demons looked like salarymen getting off from work, likely working for a company owned by father, judging from the ice blue ties they wore. Shit, this is going to be another civil war, isn't it? Probably, but at least Therian secured those sins. That's going to be big for us economically. Sure, big for Therian and the other barons, maybe. Like we'd ever see anything from that. The demon, a rat, leaned back on his bench and lit up his cigarette. Maybe if we're really lucky, we'll get another pay cut. Stop complaining, just do what I do and get yourself another side hustle. The other demon, some kind of lizard, cracked open his beer can and took a sip. Rule number 1889. We don't sleep and neither does the grind. Holy fuck, you need to stop listening to Therian's podcast. That shit is rotting your mind. The rat turned to his lizard friend. You know Therian didn't even kill those lords himself, right? It was his pet mercenary, the red dragon. Yeah, well, the lizard shifted uncomfortably. That just shows you how strong Therian is if he's got that monster on a leash. I heard that guy's not even a demon. He's a fucking seraphim. Bullshit. That makes no sense. Fallen angels are one thing, but fallen seraphim? There's no way. The rat puffed on his cigarette. Nah. You ask me, he isn't an angel or a demon. He's some kind of 
lab-grown mutant or some shit. Probably made in Babylon's labs. A lab-grown super soldier? Really? And I'm the one not making sense here? Sure. The lizard rolled his eyes. No, you know what? The answer's obvious. You know what he is? He's Therian's illegitimate son. Huh? What makes you say that? Well, first of all, Therian fucks. He's an absolute alpha male, and a high-value man like that isn't going to let himself get tied down by a wife and kid. Dude, I know you're still getting over your divorce, but you sound like a complete psycho right now. You really need to stop listening to... Let me finish, alright? Look, whatever. It's clear the wife and kid are holding him back. They aren't on his level. So he has a backup plan. Another kid is insurance in case Pluto doesn't pan out. Father's constant infidelity caused nothing but anguish for my mother. To think that one of his fans saw that as a point of pride. It took everything I had not to butcher that demon on the spot. The lizard took one more sip of his beer and continued. Think about the amount of soul stuff Therian would need to give to that monster to reach that level of power. That's an investment. Another Thelemon to ascend to the throne in case Pluto doesn't work out. And if he does, Therian would still have a powerful demon as his personal bodyguard. It's a win-win for him. I don't know if that's a win-win. The rat finished his cigarette and stomped it out beneath his shoe. He's probably paranoid of him too. I bet you he's one of the reasons why Therian absorbs a shit ton of soul stuff rather than convert it straight into cash. I wish I had that kind of disposable soul stuff to turn into lucre. I could use that kind of money. You know how much a gun goes for these days? Oh please, like you need a new gun. Didn't you quit that stupid mercenary side hustle shit like last cycle? Yeah, well... That same nervous fidget came back and for the first time, I noticed he kept looking up. I ran into the red dragon while on a gig. You're serious? Yeah, it was bad. The lizard tilted his head back and took a long pull of his drink. He rolled me and my team over in seconds. Never figured out what he wanted or why he was there, but it doesn't matter. I had to regenerate my entire body and now I'm in debt from all the soul stuff I needed to use. Shit, I'm sorry. It's fine. We fought and he won. That's all there is to it. Yeah, there's your problem. You actually tried to fight this guy. Me, I'm smarter than that. I would have done things differently. Really now? All right, tough guy, what would you have done different? Simple. He snatched a half-full can of beer from his friend. I'd fucking run. The rat broke out into a sprint before the lizard could react. Fuck! Hey! That was expensive! The lizard got up and chased his friend, down the street and into the crowd. I decided I should follow their example and stood up and left, maybe get myself lost in the crowd too. It was more than likely that father had put out a bounty for my capture. In addition to that, he would have sent out his pet mercenary, the Red Dragon, to find me, which meant that I could not attempt to hide in the singular women and children's shelter mother was able to establish in the Seventh Circle. The mercenaries would slaughter anyone in their way to get to me. As I walked away, I thought about the Red Dragon and realized that I knew very little about him. Father spoke very rarely of him, and mother even less. I did not hear anything about him being an experiment of mother's, so that was out as a probable origin. As for being my half-brother, 
I did not want to consider it. I would like to assume that I would know of such a thing, but it felt possible. I hoped that the fact I helped him would mean he might not go after me. I was tired, emotionally and physically. I wanted to lay down and just rest. My attention drifted to a promotional display featuring my mother down the street. She and a few other A-listers were on several posters wearing mother's latest, likely last product line, with several mannequins sporting her designer clothes. I approached and something possessed me, figuratively, that is. I saw one outfit in particular and my reflection in the display window made it appear almost as if I was wearing it. I was still mad and grieving, but now I was questioning things about myself. A part of me wanted the dress, perhaps behind the excuse of blending in better, but I knew it was not practical. Firstly, I would end up looking like mother with blood rose already tied to my back. I would only draw attention. Secondly, I had no money. I could steal it, but I would rather not stir the hive. Dejected, I tore myself away from the display and finally reached the camp. Inside was mostly rows and rows of shacks, constructed from scavenged garbage stacked close together, with nothing but layers of cheap plastic tarp over them to keep the elements out. I walked to a semi-crowded common area, which was nothing more than a small square patch of dirt and people smoking or drinking on filthy mats. I found an unused one and sat down. I did not want to draw attention to myself, nor did I wish to bother anyone. I just needed to think about what to do next, or at least that is what I had planned to do. But the only thing that went through my mind was rage. Rage for mother. Rage for everything father had built for himself. And as I saw family after family try to make space in this room for themselves, I felt nothing but disgust on their behalf. When I was younger, I was fed a lie about helping the poor. Father told me that helping those less fortunate than me would come at a severe cost. They needed to work harder and not expect handouts. That those that did receive help were merely parasites. That fortune was a reward to those who deserved it. I almost believed him too. Until mother sat me down and spoke to me. She told me to place myself in their shoes. To imagine myself with nothing, no parents, no home, no wealth. Then she asked me how I would lift myself out of poverty when I had nothing. I had no answer. I knew she was right, but until now I had never experienced what it was like to truly have nothing, to be completely alone. I realized that I was sheltered from the world when I saw this many people trying to survive. There was no way that all these people were lazy parasites that stopped trying to improve their lives. The amount of effort it takes to do so in these conditions is self-evident now that I saw it firsthand. Listening to conversations of how a family is going to get out of their debt, how another family wondered how they would protect their children from being consumed by other demons. Then I heard weeping just a few steps away. I sat up and peered around the corner. I saw a demon, bloody and crying, 
as he was surrounded by the freshly butchered skulls of an adult and two kids. He reached into the body of a small boy, pulled out an unrecognizable dripping hunk of gore, and brought it to his gnashing teeth. He opened his eye and looked to me. I left instantly. I knew that I was still at an advantage. I had an education and consumed far more souls, and as a result, would likely be in a vastly superior position no matter what I did. But nonetheless, I wanted to put this scene as far away from me as possible. I admit I was emotional. I started to envision my hands around father's throat, squeezing until his skull popped out of his head. I wanted him to pay, for mother, for all the people who suffered under his rule while he and the other barons profited. I felt disgust build in my gut as I realized those same profits went straight to funding my own privileged upbringing. While people went into debt and ate their own children, I had a silver spoon stuck down my throat. I was only able to snap out of it when I looked up and saw a large demon wearing a stained and stitched together suit of security armor. I could tell he was not an abomination since I could see the scars across his face and his arms, all four of which could tear my head off. One of his four hands clenched into a tight fist as I turned to face him. You're Therian's boy, yeah? Maybe, which was a more honest answer than a yes at this point. I looked closer at his suit. I could see the embroidered Therian produce security officer on his armor, even if he tried to cross it out with paint. Your dad's looking for you. Several more men surrounded me, guns drawn. Now, you're worth more unharmed, but money is money. He reached into a holster by his hip and drew out a worn revolver. You know, you look just like your dad. I did not, but that did not stop him from acquainting my snout with the butt of his gun. I felt the full brunt of that swing since I did not choose anyone to redirect any of that pain to. While that did knock me to the ground, I have taken worse. Ever since I could walk, father had my limbs sawed off so I could grow them again. The training has taught me to block out the pain and to remind me who I was meant to serve. It was a privilege of my education. I was fortunate for my family to have enough resources to support such training. Spending practically an entire soul a day to achieve this level of tolerance was not something even a mercenary could afford. I scrambled up and backed away, likely faster than they expected me to. I was not confident enough to use Blood Rose yet. All I could do was designate him as the target of my pain split ability, as my last desperate move. He raised the gun to my neck, his finger wrapped around the trigger. But before he could fire, the demon exploded into a shower of blood and bone in front of me. The muffled wet pop was soon followed behind by the crack of a rifle, far, far above me. I expected myself to be blown back from the blast, however, I was fine. Instead, the former security guard was turned to a fine red mist. I felt the spray of blood splatter on my face as his head bounced off the ground. I doubt he would be getting back up until tomorrow, at least. 
I saw people screaming, running away. My ears were still ringing, but I could make out the sounds of gunfire, both from various assault rifles and the booming, focused shots of a Focalore Griffin 50 caliber anti-material rifle. It was the Red Dragon. From the demons exploding on contact, it was fair to say that he was using some form of explosive round. But the demons shot were exploding from the inside. I looked at the hem of my hoodie and noticed holes being caustically burned into it from where flecks of blood landed. As the mercenaries turned and scattered, he landed, half face toward me, half towards the direction the mercs ran off to. I paused to regain my composure. Did you not say that you depleted your ammunition earlier? Not to you, but I did. Most of them. These are reserves. Well, thank you for saving me. Don't. Surrender your mother's weapon and come with me. He turned his full attention toward me, rifle in hand. I am to escort you back to your father. Comply, and no harm will come to you. You are still following his orders, I assume, I sighed. Yes, he was cold. I would sooner you kill me. Not an option. The Red Dragon raised his gun. Orders are to bring you in alive. Failing that, your head unbutchered. I recommend coming willingly. For the first time, I stood firm on something. I am sorry, that is not going to happen. There was a pause, a realization that he did not want to follow through. Fifteen seconds is all I can give you. Run. He spread his wings and took to the skies, and I started counting. Fifteen. I took his advice and ran as fast as I could, trying not to let him catch a beat on me. Eighty kilometers an hour was not fast enough to outrun someone with his aim and flight speed. To account for this, I took as many turns down the streets as possible. Thirteen. Looking over my shoulder for him would waste time, and I could simply not afford to do so while running down a crowded, unprotected street, so I went by the crowd's reaction as they screamed, pointed up, and ran. 10. He had an anti-material rifle, a weapon designed for use against military-grade material and high-density soul material. Hiding behind a wall would likely do little in terms of protection, so I needed something else. 7. From how he stood out of designation range, it was likely that he knew of my ability. I needed to be unpredictable, break line of sight, and put distance between him and I, only to double back halfway and hopefully throw him off. 4. I believed I lost him, but I still needed to be anywhere but here. I took this as an opportunity to beeline straight for the orchard, since the leafage above would obfuscate me, and should he still be on me, I could take advantage of the orchard and use the flames as cover. I sidestepped and was just about to make my way into the orchard. I was going to make one. Time seemed to freeze. All the adrenaline in the world could not prevent the searing pain I felt 
when the round hit my arm. First, the bullet made contact, and then, in rapid succession, I felt pressure and heat quickly build before the skin split and exploded into a loud, wet pop. I looked, but I did not dare stop running. My arm was gone, a squirting stump having taken its place. While it was not the first time I had lost a limb, it was a pain that you never get used to. The sleeve of my hoodie, which was now partially on fire, was blown off from the explosive round, and I could feel the acidic burns around the area, the flesh melting off the bone. He must have been using a custom HIAP round, as I do not remember hearing anything about this kind of ammunition before. I wanted to kneel down and stop the pain more than anything. I stifled a scream and kept running. I did not have the luxury to stop. I needed to do something else, otherwise the next thing he would do is shoot my neck. I needed cover. I needed fire. As I sprinted through the entrance of the orchard, I raised my only remaining hand and released a bright flame onto the leaves above. I did not need to do much to spread the fire. Their leaves and bark secrete a flammable oil, and the trees were eager to do it themselves. He could obviously shoot through the fire, but he knew blindly shooting into the flames would deplete his limited ammunition. We were at a temporary stalemate, but I was still down an arm. As soon as the leaves and bark were burned up, I would be exposed. Blood Rose was no help, since I could not effectively use it with just one arm, which meant that I only had a dagger against a sniper. I finally allowed myself to look up for him. As I had hoped, he could not see me through the flames and was flying close in a bid to spot me. I had no idea what to do if he did spot me. If I ran, he would follow. If I threw my singular knife at him, I would be using my one chance in a move that would likely not even hurt him. Until I realized, the red dragon was close enough for me to redirect harm back to him. Stabbing myself would bypass his protections, but I needed to make it count. I needed to hurt him more than I was hurting myself. Additionally, if he realized I was willing to self-harm, he would adapt his strategy around that. I took a deep breath and braced myself before I started, stabbing myself in the back, right where his wings would be. My vision blurred as I let the knife force its way through my flesh. I dry heaved as I twisted the knife in deep and caught the glimpse of his fall from the sky. I steadily approached, pulling the knife from my back. I wanted to scream from the burning pain. I wanted to run, but I could not afford to let him get another shot on me. So I dealt with him. The twisted body-shaped trees burned brightly, their arms raised to light the red skies aflame. If I needed to breathe, I would have suffocated from the heavy smoke in the air, but I could only feel the taste of ash and fruit on my tongue. From above or below the canopy, their flames provided ample cover and places to avert his aim. As I walked to where the red dragon fell, my worst fears were confirmed. He was still conscious and staring straight at me. I did not want to hurt him. We were both injured, bleeding, with a hole in my back 
and his left wing hanging limp, rendered unusable. I was down an arm, and he looked as if he was limping on the same leg I helped set. The fall must have worsened the compound fracture in his leg. If there was a time for diplomacy, this would be the last chance we had. I gave him an opportunity to back away. Please, let us stop fighting. We are both injured. We do not have to hurt each other anymore. We could just stop. I can't do that. You can, though. You're my mark. You can run or fight. Why? Why can you not just back away? Because it's my job. This is all that I have left. I could hear the emotional edge in his voice that he tried to suppress. Darien took everything else. I blinked. I... I thought you were only working for father for his money. Money is irrelevant, he snapped back. If I fail, I'm not the Red Dragon. If I'm not the Red Dragon, I'm nothing. It took a moment for me to process what he said. Despite the vast gulf of experience and power between us, he really was no different from me. A pawn for father to use. Another soul he crushed in his hand. Father treats me the same way. Success means everything. If you fall short of his expectations, then all you were to him was a failure, a nothing. I took a step towards him. Mother was different. Where Therian took, she only gave. She gave me love that I felt he could never take away from me. If the Red Dragon saw that I moved forward, he made no show of it. I could see the look in his eyes changing, softening. But he did, and now Bloodrose is all I have of Mother. I am not going to let Father take that too. You're wasting your time. Therian will win. He always wins. I heard his voice break as he said that. He raised his rifle up to his shoulder and took aim at me. He will not win. I will not allow it. I clenched the dagger in my only remaining hand and felt my legs tense. Then fight. He fired. The round slice cleaned through my pant leg as I dodged to the side. He was a crack shot, but he was slipping barely able to hold the gun steady. I noticed his aim was lower, far lower than my head. I could tell he aimed for my legs in an attempt to disable me. I had one advantage over him, land speed, so I rushed him before he could fire yet again. With any luck, I would sever his head before he blew our respective feet off. I closed the gap between us, panicked and desperate. I reached out with my arm to knock his rifle out of line. That was when I made a mistake. I had parried his rifle downwards instead of away from me. He pulled the trigger, the shot rang out, and I felt my leg explode in a spray of gore, followed by a flood of agony as I felt acid bite into me. He buckled as the damage was split to his one uninjured leg, and we both fell to our knees. I saw a single opening to even the playing field, and stabbed his wrist to pry the rifle out of his hand. My dagger sunk into his flesh, and I twisted, which forced his hand open and sent his rifle to the dirt. 
Relief flooded into me. For the first time, I felt like it was possible to win this fight. Until I felt a punch to the face, then another. Even as the bruises and cuts appeared on his own face, he shrugged it off. He knocked me to the ground and straddled my hips, pinning me, and slammed punch after punch against my head. Each fist sent thunderclaps that roared through my skull, almost as loud as his rifle. He grabbed my head and slammed it against the ground. My vision started to swim. I felt sick and nauseous. He made no sound as he weathered his own strikes. I saw a crack in his beak that was not there before, so I knew he was hurt, but otherwise he did not flinch. I did the only thing I could and attempted to buck him over me. I slammed my only knee against his back and caused him to topple forward. I seized the advantage and took the knife that I still held onto and plunged it deep into his back. I pushed up with my left leg and hip and used the dagger in his back like a handle to roll him over to my right side and onto his back. I ripped the knife out from the red dragon's back. With his legs damaged, he was unable to stop me from pressing forward or to roll me off him. I plunged the knife downwards towards his neck, but his hand shot up to guard against the strike. Exhausted and desperate, I leaned my entire body weight behind my hand and pressed down with all my remaining strength. And yet the knife remained in place. Neither one of us had the energy left to overpower the other. We were trapped, locked into a brutal game with no real winner. There was nothing that awaited us at the end of the struggle, only more pain, more blood, and more cruelty. My hands shook. I did not want this. I did not want to hurt him. Not like father did. So I made one last attempt to talk to him. You were right about father. I looked at him square in the eyes. He is powerful the single most powerful lord of Inferno. No one could ever stand up against him. Every lord that tried has been butchered for his trophy room. I felt sick at the thought that mother was in there too. But those lords failed because they were unable to unify against him. All of them were self-serving and vainglorious, just like him. None of them could stand the thought of another person sharing the glory. I felt the strength in his arms waning. We do not have to be like them. I know you are another victim of his and I know you want him dead as much as I do. So I am begging you, stop this fight. Let us work together to stop him from taking anything else. His grip slowly weakened as he considered what I said. Whatever it was that he took away from you, I promise that we can take it back. I felt his grip around my wrists loosen slightly. Behind his cold, steely eyes, something lit up. It was faint, weak, but I saw it there. The hope that Therian could really be beaten, that the Red Dragon's own life could mean more than being under a tyrant's thumb. Please, was all I was able to think to myself. If it was possible to kill Therian, his eyes narrowed. What do you think stopped me? The light I saw in his eyes was snuffed out in an instant, replaced now with a killer's empty stare. Even at my strongest, I couldn't kill him. 
and you're too immature and inexperienced to pose a real threat. His voice came out like a harsh whisper. He sounded so tired. You can't even bring yourself to kill me. How can you expect to kill him? His strength returned to his arms as I felt his grip tighten. If you were to fight him as you are now, then you would die whether I helped you or not. I... that is not... I tried to think of a response. Despite everything that had happened, I knew I did not feel truly comfortable with killing anyone, even father. In my moment of weakness, the red dragon managed to push my hand to the side. He released his grip and I fell forward and stabbed the knife harmlessly into the dirt. He pushed me off him and I fell to his side. I tried to climb back on top of him until I felt his fist impact my skull once again. Before I could react, he grabbed me by my throat and threw me as hard as he could, which set me careening against one of the many burning trees. I slammed my head against the trunk, and the hard crunch of bark rang through my head. It was not enough to concuss, but enough to blur my sight. When I regained my vision, I saw the red dragon reload his rifle and raise it up toward me. Time slowed to a crawl. I knew where he aimed, my last remaining arm. Even with my ability causing him to lose his own, he would still have one good arm, and I would be completely disabled. I would then attempt to crawl away, but with only one last leg and my strength completely sapped, I knew he would catch up to me. He would wrap his one good arm around my neck and choke me, rendering me unconscious, and once he was healed enough to stand and limp, he would drag me back to father. And it would be over. Father would win, because father always wins. All you had to do was commit a simple fucking execution, but you couldn't even do that right, could you? I was a coward, a complete fuck-up unworthy of mother's legacy, and I really thought I could kill father? What a joke. If he dies, he dies. We'll make a new one. I was replaceable. Even as heir to the throne, father truly could make a new one. Maybe it'll get Pluto to be useful for once instead of hiding between your legs crying like a failure. I failed, mother. Failed to save her. Failed. Failed. Failure. If it were before I knocked you up, you would have won, but having that boy made you soft. She is dead because of me. She is dead because of me. She is dead because of me. She is dead. Her skull is screaming forever, locked in a glass cage. I am sorry. I wish I could have been the son you wanted. If I were, perhaps father would have spared you. I deserve no throne. I am no lord of violence and never, ever could be. Oh, what would you rather be? I wanted to be like you. Brave, compassionate, and beautiful. Someone who helped people, who helped everyone. But I cannot. You are capable of so much more. We know you are. do not know if I can. I know you can do it. 
but I don't want you to do it for me or Therian. I want you to earn the throne for you. I only wanted to make you proud of me. Pluto, no matter how you earn your seat at the throne, I know that you'll make me proud. Mother, you will always be my little rose petal. Thank you. I stared at the red dragon through the scope of his rifle. I knew he did not want to hurt me, but he had to. Therian took his choice away from him, but I still had the ability to choose for myself. And in that frozen moment, I made my choice. I decided who I was going to be. I did not want to hurt him, but I needed to kill him. And no one was going to stand in my way, not myself, not Therian, and sadly, not even the Red Dragon. He took aim, but I still had my dagger. I took notice of which eye he used to aim, and without hesitation, I thrust my dagger deep into my eye socket. It hurt, but I gripped my teeth and pressed on. I twisted the knife deep into my ruined eyeball and ripped it out with all the force I could muster. The red dragon flinched as his eyeball erupted into a waterfall of blood and fluid. He fired a shot and it went wide, piercing through the burning canopy. He attempted to readjust and took aim with his off eye. I tried to think of a way to disable him from this range, some body part that he needed that I could sever. I looked at the stump of my right arm and regretted that I had not redirected the damage back at him when he first shot. Being right-handed, it would have severely affected the Red Dragon's shooting ability. And then I realized. My arm was gone, yes, but the stump left behind had enough of my bicep left to cut through and sever his arm. I needed to work fast to beat his trigger pull, and so I raised my left arm up high and brought it down hard onto my mutilated appendage. The dagger sank about halfway through my bicep before it stopped and I heard the dull thud of blade hitting bone. I had hoped the acid burning it earlier would have deadened my nerves, but I was not so lucky. While my pain tolerance training had paid off, I will admit that cutting through the bone was always the hardest part to stomach. The red dragon's upper arm split open, and the rifle aimed high. He attempted to readjust. I pulled my dagger out and brought it down again harder. I felt the blade reverberate as it cracked through the bone, the ensuing hand shock nearly enough to make me lose my grip. But my own bitter rage and conviction continued to fuel me as I held on to the knife tight. I pulled it out and brought it down again and again. The Red Dragon fired his rifle rapidly. His shots were closer to me than before, hitting the tree behind me, the ground in front of me, and once narrowly missing my head. His shots had lost their accuracy. It was erratic. He was desperate. Afraid. I made one last push and managed to cut through the bone and the rest of my muscle and tendon. The severed piece of my arm landed on the soil below, as did the red dragon's right arm and gun. I knew it would not be enough, not for someone like him, Without a moment lost, he reached down with his left hand and brought the rifle under his armpit and attempted to hip-fire it. 
He could not lose this fight. He had nothing else left. It was this or nothing. Just like me. I threw my dagger to the side and pulled out Blood Rose. I stood up on my one remaining leg and lunged toward him. I squeezed my hand around Blood Rose's thorned body and watched as the red dragon's left hand burst into geysers of blood. He fired and he missed. I heard the bullet whistle past my ear, but I did not care. He could shoot me all he wants. Adrenaline washed away all the fear left in my body. He fired, and I felt the bullet tear through the fabric of my hoodie, but it narrowly missed my flesh. When I was close enough to him, I raised Blood Rose like a harpoon, its silhouette casting a shadow that eclipsed him. He pressed the barrel of the rifle against my chest and pulled the trigger. We heard a click. Blood Rose sank deep into the Red Dragon's chest. Its roots spread throughout his body and erupted into spikes that perforated him from within. He fell on his back and I pushed Blood Rose deeper and felt its prongs pierce through his back and into the dirt. The roots continued to grow and pinned him to the soil. I kicked his rifle out of reach and fell to my knees. I turned my head to the side and vomited. I did it. I won. Not from the pain of its thorns piercing my hand, but from the adrenaline rush my body went through. It took me a while before I noticed the red dragon's hand on top of mine. I froze at first. I was not ready for another fight, not so soon at least. But instead, he held my hand. Thank you. Excuse me? I never properly thanked you back then. When you stopped to heal me, even though you were running away, you still wanted to help me. His grip on my hand felt weak and cold. I wanted to thank you, but I just couldn't. I regret that. I'm sorry. Please do not apologize. I only made it worse. I let go of Blood Rose and held onto his hand. No, you didn't. He winced. Well, for whatever it's worth now, you are welcome. There was a pregnant pause. There had been something at the back of my head ever since I had heard of the Red Dragon, so I broke the silence. Who were you before Therian made you into his personal assassin? What, what did he do to you? I thought back to what those demons downtown said. Just what was he really? A fallen angel? A lab experiment? My brother? The thought of the Red Dragon being my own brother, that Therian had turned one of his own children into his slave, it made me feel ill. He was silent for a moment. His eyes stared deeply into mine as he searched for an answer. And finally, he found one. I'm a loser, he began. My entire life, I was nothing but a loser. I wasted it being the pawn of a rich monster who despised my existence. I thought if I worked hard enough for him, then I could be valuable. That Therian could make me valuable. He turned his head to the side and looked away from me. I was wrong. I wanted to tell him otherwise, but I truly did not know what to say. I could not deny that I felt the exact same way. As I held onto his hand, 
I got the impression that this was the first time he had ever confided in someone. I tried my best to be gentle with him and stroked his ruined hand with my thumb. No, I would not call you a loser. You tried. You were another victim of Therians, one out of hundreds. It doesn't matter, not anymore. I've failed, and you need to finish the job. No, it is not too late. We can still kill him together. We wait until we are whole again, replenish your supplies, and then take him out with an ambush. An ambush? How? Simple. You bring me in as if you were about to follow Therian's orders. He will make me surrender the fork. While he is distracted with that, you shoot him, and I finish what is left using Blood Rose. A fitting end for someone who originally came from the Ninth Circle. The Red Dragon was silent. He tightened his bloody hand around mine as he stared at me. Through his steely facade, I saw that light shine behind his eyes, brighter than ever. The warm light of hope. I have a safe house in the city, an apartment under a pseudonym. I have a cache of munitions there, spare armor, hidden in case I ever needed it. He looked at me. Darian won't be killed by a plan as simple as that. When we hit him, we need to hit hard and all at once. If we give him even a second to recover, we're dead. We can fine-tune the plan there then. Therian would certainly not be expecting a surprise attack from the people he considers failures, his words. We can use this to our advantage all the same. I gave him a confident nod and squeezed his hand back. We can do this together. If we fail, I expect you should know what will happen to us. I knew, a skull locked forever in a glass cage for him to leer at or to play with. Is that something you want to risk? Are you willing to sacrifice everything to kill him? I would rather that than live with myself knowing I did not take my one chance to fight back, I answered immediately. I felt something in my chest. Fear? Probably. But with it came a righteous determination to avenge Mother and make this monster pay for everything he had done. All right, he said as he let go of my hand. There's a protein bar in the pouch here. It was bloodstained like the rest of him, but intact. Eat it, regain some energy, and mend your wounds. Once you've recovered enough to heal me, I'll take you to the hideout. I took the protein bar out of his bloodied pouch and took a bite. It tasted like chocolate chip cookie dough. Thank you. I appreciate that. I take back what I said earlier. Hmm? I tilted my head to hear him better. Mm-hmm. You're still young and inexperienced, yes, but you've got a lot of potential. You sure you want to do this? Last chance to back out. No, I am ready. I steeled myself, clutching onto the red dragon. His wings carried us over the orchards, which were extinguished from the fight days prior, back home to Therian. Good. It still did not sit right with me, since this was the first time I genuinely wanted someone dead, but I was willing to do whatever it took to have justice. He needed to go. 
As we approached my home, I noticed a chill in the air as the temperature started dropping, far lower than it should be for the seventh circle's usual climate. Then I remembered. Do you remember how I said earlier that Therian came from the ninth circle? He nodded. Yes, I already know. You didn't expect him to take over the house? Well, no, I did. I just did not expect him to start so soon. I looked ahead toward the manor. It was snowing. Mother never let Therian bring snow on the property, since it would damage the lawn and flower bed. Additionally, most demons could not efficiently adapt to the climate unless they were royalty, or whatever the red dragon was. He looked down to me. It's why we're attacking now. Staff is low, so security is at its weakest. You know where you're going, right? I do, I nodded. Hide in my room, wait for him to leave his office, hide in his office. Good. I'm going to start dropping you now. Tuck and roll like you practiced. Ready. He swooped closer to the ground and let me go. I must have fallen only a few meters, but the speed at which I was moving forward was great. I tucked, rolled, and landed on my knees in the crouching position. While he continued to fly around to the front, I went through the back door. Every surface was cold to the touch, as if a thin layer of frost coated each centimeter. I had less than a minute. I got low, quiet. The heat of my breath was visible, so I ceased breathing. I crept past the kitchen and up the stairs. I took a brief look around along the way, keeping watch for Therian or staff, but also noticing all of Mother's belongings removed, Therian's trophies replacing them, often hung from chains along the ceiling. The manor looked nothing like I remembered it. What used to be decorated with foliage and potted plants now held stone and iron trophies. Some he stole, others he had commissioned every time he conquered a foe. Then there were the chains almost everywhere making everything seem more and more Cockatean. Therian must have missed the ninth circle, or simply hated Mother that much. Shutting the door to my bedroom, I turned around and exhaled, relief that I made it without a hitch. Despite my room being more or less how I left it, the harsh chill that crept over served as a reminder of who really owned this house. The doorbell rang which was my cue to listen in for Therian's movements. I heard him scoot back in his office chair and stand up. The shoes he wore gave each step a distinctive clack, so tracking him all the way down the stairs was simple. It was time to move. I armed myself and quietly slipped out the door and into Therian's office, making sure to open the office door at the same time as when Therian answered the front door. Ah, finally, Therian greeted. Well, get in. We don't have all night. I heard the door close as the red dragon walked into the foyer. All right, where's Pluto? I dropped his head and body around back for salvage. I did not want to bloody the house. Hmm. Fair enough. Honestly, it took you long enough. Too busy fooling around with girls to do your job properly? No, sir. Oh, of course. What am I saying? Who in their right mind would ever fuck you? Therian's laughter echoed throughout the manor as he slapped the red dragon on the back. Yes, sir. Nobody, sir. 
Ha! Shame you weren't born a woman. I would have gotten a lot more use out of you if Project Valkyrie worked out. Yes, sir. His laughter died down slowly. He savored each and every moment he tore into the red dragon. My stomach churned just listening to it. Well, speaking of mistakes, once that boy regenerates, I'm going to have to smack some sense into him, or at the very least smack all that nonsense that whore put into him. I presume that's Blood Rose? It is. He likely presented the weapon case we prepared for him. Excellent. Follow me. I'll put this someplace safe and get your allowance ready. You aren't going to bitch again, are you? You don't look injured. No, sir. I took out Pluto before he could designate me. Good. Despite your numerous shortcomings as a person, I admit you still are one of my best assassins. Do you know why? No, sir. Of course you don't, idiot. You've got Theleman genes in you. Helps balance out what that slut mother of yours left you with. Thank you, sir. Really, I should have gotten my hands on a better angel, Therian sighed. Oh well, she was a decent enough lay, at least from what I remember. What about you, Birdbrain? You remember anything about her? No, sir, I do not. I could hear the very, very faint trace of anger in the Red Dragon's voice. I felt my stomach drop as Therian confirmed what I had suspected. The Red Dragon was my older brother. Therian turned his own son into his slave, and from what little was implied about his mother and what he would have done to us if we were born a woman, I felt sick. I turned my disgust into anger and gripped Bloodrose tight. Therian's abuse had gone on long enough. I, no, we were going to kill him. I found the best hiding spot I could, behind one of the curtains, not particularly inspired, but effective enough for the situation. The last thing he expects from the Red Dragon is betrayal. As far as he is concerned, he won. I tightened the ballistic vest the Red Dragon provided over my head, and soon enough, he opened the door to his office. I would have designated him immediately, but I did not want to accidentally give away that I was there. Therian spoke. You know, I spent so many resources in getting that boy to be what I need him to be, and what does he do? Runs away. You were never like that. You followed orders like a good dog. And you were a bird. Of course, sir. Therian smirked. And always so agreeable. You sure you weren't born a woman? You're submissive enough to be one. I'm well aware, sir. Shall we discuss payment? Yeah, yeah. First, though, let me put this away. He turned the case toward him, unlocked it, and just after I designated him. Boom. The case exploded in front of him. The shockwave from the blast sent me to my knees with ringing ears and fuzzy vision. Thankfully, the ballistic armor stopped most of the shrapnel from disabling me. As I stood up, I saw Therian still standing in the same place though he had lost much of his face from the blast, and the parts that remained did not look happy. He reached up to remove a large shard of the case that had impaled him through the chest, before the Red Dragon opened fire with the Camaris V44 12.7mm assault rifle loaded with his custom HIAP rounds. That explosion was not enough to kill him, and we both knew it. 
Its purpose was to surprise him well enough so that I might have the opportunity to neutralize him through crystallization with the red dragon providing suppressing fire. Therian's regeneration was fast, although the rapid-fire explosive acidic rounds were doing a good enough job at slowing down his muscle and sinew from reforming. I clenched blood rose tightly, letting its thorns dig into my flesh and charged him. I thrust my weapon at him, but it did not meet flesh, it met metal. I looked up and saw a frozen iron chain coming from the ceiling. He parried, and Bloodrose stabbed itself harmlessly into the wooden floor. The red dragon continued dumping rounds into Therian's body, tearing apart and melting his upper torso and arms. But we knew this could not last for long. Therian's regeneration was speeding up and would soon outpace the red dragon's damage. He only had 30 rounds in an extended magazine and had to reload soon. He would only have a short window of time to switch to a fresh magazine and continue firing, and I was not sure that we could afford it. I squeezed my hands tighter and pulled Blood Rose out of the wood floor, my blood steaming on its thorny handle. I looked and saw Therian's face and throat reforming at a rapid pace, despite the shots thundering across his skull. I lunged forward, looking to impale him as I did with the red dragon. Blood Rose hit something solid, too solid to be flesh. I saw Blood Rose entangled in a lattice of cold iron chains, holding it in place. I heard the clatter of an empty magazine as it hit the floor, requiring the red dragon to reach into his pouch to grab a fresh one. According to him, his fastest reload time was a second. It was blindingly fast faster than I could ever imagine with a firearm. But it was not fast enough. Therian's arm had fully regrown, and with a wave of his hand, he froze the fluid in the red dragon's eyes, blinding him. Two icicles punctured through his eyes from within, his blood froze in the air before it hit the ground. With a grunt, the red dragon attempted to slot the mag into the magwell but failed when Therian's chain shot out from the walls to wrap around him and slammed him hard against the floor. Once, twice, and on the third hit the floor cracked. The red dragon groaned as the gun fell out of his hands. Therian hoisted him up to pin him against the wall and continued to freeze him. Therian turned to look at me, his head and face having mostly regrown. Would you like to know something, Pluto? he said as he walked over to me. We only named you that because your mother wouldn't allow me to name you Therian II. I was always rather insulted by that, honestly. I tried my best to pull Blood Rose out from the entanglement of chains, but I failed. Therian walked closer to me as the rest of his face regrew. But in hindsight, perhaps that was for the best. His chains wrapped around Blood Rose tighter and pulled it up to the ceiling and me along with it. Pluto Theleman, let go, he commanded. I spat at him. Fuck you. He blinked. He was clearly not expecting me to speak to him like that. I was not expecting that from me either. Unbelievable. He shook his head. I was surprised to see you and that freak teaming up against me. Really took me off guard there, but... I suppose it makes sense. 
Both of you are ungrateful little cretins who took everything I've ever given to you for granted. He looked at his other arm as it fully regrew. I always knew the speed of his regeneration was fast, but it was so much faster than I ever expected. He pointed an icy finger toward me. You. I clothe you, house you, and build you up with more souls than any other demon would see in a lifetime. I paid for the best education money could buy and guided you from birth to be a worthy successor, a worthy heir to the throne of violence, a winner. He snarled at me, his face etched deeply with anger. He turned to the red dragon, and you, you were nothing but a failed experiment that I rescued from termination because I felt that you could still be made into something useful. Therian rolled his shoulder his joints connecting back properly as sinew reattached themselves. My own infernal seraphim, I saved you from your fate as a living afterbirth and made you into a weapon heaven itself would tremble at, and this is how my kindness is repaid. Therian fumed, blue ice-cold fire emanated from his body. I had never seen him like this before. Something was wrong. Answer me now, the fucking both of you. The anti-fire spread throughout his whole body and hit the ceiling, freezing it solid. Is this how you repay me? Is this how you repay me? Therian bellowed as the room erupted in cockatean flame. A wave of freezing blue fire hit me and I felt cold. A deep and aching chill that radiated from within me. A moment later, I felt it pain more terrible and blinding than I could imagine as my blood froze into a labyrinth of icicles that impaled me from within. A cold explosion of pain that never stopped. I collapsed onto the floor. I saw the same wounds appearing across Therian's body before quickly closing in the blink of an eye. I looked over to the red dragon and saw that he was in a similar state as I was, spikes of ice stabbing through his body as he writhed quietly. I felt a pang of guilt, knowing that I had put him through pain like this again. Therian stood above me and took a deep breath, calming himself down. He reached down with one of his chains, wrapped it around Bloodrose, and tugged hard. Despite the pain I was in, I held on firmly. I let Bloodrose spread its roots into my arm and lock in place. I gripped my teeth and fought through the pain. I would not allow him to take this away from me too. Finally, he stopped and looked at me again, more frustrated than furious. He sighed and then squat down next to me. Pluto. His voice had lost the commanding tone he took earlier, now sounding firm but gentle. Let me tell you something about Blood Rose, something you may not have known. He began. Did you know that Blood Rose was made specifically for you? It was meant to be a gift to you when you finally came of age and he reached out, hovering a finger over one of Blood Rose's thorns, which extended violently and almost stabbed him. It was designed to kill me. What? Oh, yes. When you finally came of age, Babylon would pass Blood Rose straight to you, which you would then use against me, your own father. He looked at the weapon with utter disdain etched across his face. She poisoned you against me and has plotted this from the very start. 
It's not lost on me that she pushed you into taking pyromancy as an elective in school. You were her little weapon, her own homegrown kingslayer. You can't possibly tell me that you never knew about this. I know that... He sighed and stretched his neck. Of course you didn't know. You were her puppet. After I was dead, she would rule as a shadow matriarch and gorge herself on soul gems to keep herself alive and in power forever. The moment she elected to give birth was the moment she crippled herself. Unless, of course, she had someone young and strong to gather as many souls as possible. I stammered, but no sound came out. Was he right? Was I groomed to hate him this entire time? That could not be true. Therian was a monster for as long as I have known him. Mother only wished to protect me. Right? Pluto, I apologize, truly, Therian said, putting a hand on my icy shoulder to warm it up. I admit I was perhaps too harsh on you as a father. I only wished to push you towards excellence, but now I see I only pushed you away from me. I did not know what to say. I could not believe that he truly said all of this. I had always hoped for an apology, some kind of reconciliation from him. To hear it then was… Yes, I killed Babylon, but I did so in self-defense, not in the defense of myself. I looked into his eyes. I had never felt such warmth from father before. I killed her to save you. I knew I didn't have a lot of time left. I had to act fast. If I didn't, you would have spent the rest of your life under her heel. Father. I had always wanted this. I always wished I did enough to earn his affections, his love. I could feel tears welling in my frozen eyes. You carry the Thelemon royal family name, and the Thelemon royal family are not subservient to anyone. Father touched my face to warm my cheek, allowing my tears to fall. In you runs the blood of kings, lords, and victors, winners who triumphed over every obstacle the lesser people threw at them. Perhaps, perhaps I was wrong about mother and about father. Perhaps it will be different now that father was not who I thought he always was. I could feel my grip loosening on Blood Rose. Pluto, you are my one and only son. You are irreplaceable. Irreplaceable. I blinked. I... I am what? Of course, you're irreplaceable. How could you not be? My pride and joy, my little prince of violence. You are the one thing I value above all. I was a fool. A fool to believe that Therian was not who he always was. A sadist. A rapist. A cruel little despot. A liar. The only person here who was ever unfit for mother's love was him. You are right, father. I remembered what he said about how mother had me learn pyromancy, and perhaps, in a way, Therian was right. She was planning on having me kill him. I apologize. I inhaled, slowly and silently, building up energy. Good boy. I'm so glad that you were able to see reason. 
His smile widened ever so slightly. Why don't you let go of that old thing and come back to the winning side? I'll make sure it's put to much better use. Very well, father. You may have it. It was thanks to Therian that I remembered that the melting point of iron was a mere 1538 degrees Celsius. So with the energy that I had built up, I elected to explode and burn ten times hotter. His chains did not melt or disintegrate. To say that they shattered would be an understatement. The rapid and drastic change in temperature caused each link to burst like a miniature lightning grenade, forcibly and in all directions. Our bodies were pelted with shrapnel, but since Blood Rose was now free, I did not care. I only received half of the brunt, while Therian experienced my own pain threefold. Ah, oh you little fuck! His first instinct was to lash out with more chains, each one meeting the same fate as the last, creating burst upon burst of plasma in the air, showering him in a hailstorm of sharp metal and lightning. I am not your son. I am the child of Babylon the Great. Her whore of blood. A fucking whore. Therian was interrupted by the red dragon. Both I and Therian had become so preoccupied with each other that neither of us noticed him break free and approach Therian. The red dragon lifted one of Therian's legs and kneed him in the groin as hard as he possibly could. I could see a dark, chunky red mess in between his legs as the red dragon pulled his knee back. Therian's face contorted into a rictus of pure agony as he let out a choked, silent scream before the red dragon threw him to the ground. He stood above Therian, his foot on his neck, and regurgitated a flood of acid on Therian's face, turning it into a bloody and liquefied mess. That was for my mother, the red dragon hacked as Therian desperately clawed at him, spitting his own melted tongue out as he tried to curse at him. And this is for mine, I followed still engulfed in an unholy yet righteous flame. I brought my equally blazing weapon far up and thrust it down upon Therian's groin. Try and replace us now, father. My words dripped with disdain. Blood Rose's roots worked quickly, spreading to every inch of Therian's body. Through his melted face I could see the roots wrap around his skull. Seconds later, the thorns erupted more violently than I'd ever seen them do before. Therian spasmed and cried out as Blood Rose's thorns tore through his body and locked him in place. Therian was down, and with the heat of my flame preventing him from making better use of his chains, he was not going to be getting back up unless we allowed it. The red dragon stomped down on Therian's snout and shattered his newly grown teeth. Where are they? My mother in Babylon. He stomped down again, hard enough that Therian's teeth had embedded themselves in the sole of his boot. What did you do to them? Answer. I joined in, twisting the fork in Therian's flesh as a show of solidarity. Tell us. Tell. Us. Now. Therian gasped and twisted in pain. Fuck you, he spat. You want to know where your cunt mothers ended up? Fine. Therian pointed at the red dragon. I dumped that slut onto heaven's doorstep after I was done with her. 
Knowing those psychos, they probably sacrificed her the moment they found out I fucked her. Therian laughed darkly, and I saw the red dragon squeeze his hand into a tight fist. And you. Therian directed his attention toward me. I thought you might try and break in and steal her from my trophy room, so I gave it to someone who would never let her go. I interrupted him with a hard punch to the snout. Who? He paused, reeling from the impact. He spat a bloody tooth out and slowly turned his head back toward me. Wouldn't you like to know, whore? He cackled bitterly. I am not interested in torturing you to find out, Therian. If you are not going to tell us, then we have no reason to let you live. He looked at me silently for a moment before he saw me grip Blood Rose tighter. His eyes widened and I saw his fingernails dig deep into the floorboards. You'll never find her. Not now, not ever, he said quietly, each word drowning in an ocean of fear. Never, do you hear me? He screamed, unable to stop his body from shaking. Do you hear me? Answer me, you stupid fuck! I cut him off. Hearing his voice brought me nothing but pain. I concentrated and activated Blood Rose's primary ability and began the soul gem process. For demons who willingly submit themselves to the process, it would be as Mother intended it. Instantaneous, painless, merciful and dignified. A life brought to a humane ending. But for those who fight back, for those who are being punished, it would be anything but. Therian began to compress down to a single point at the tip of Blood Rose's prongs. His body distorted and stretched like he was sucked into a black hole. His legs folded and stretched infinitely as they were pulled into the singularity, his torso and arms following suit. His mouth opened before his jaw distended and stretched out grotesquely. He attempted to scream, but the sound itself was lost, pulled into the event horizon. The very last thing I ever saw of him were his eyes looking into mine. The fear in them is something I will never forget. I do not know how long Therian truly suffered in that state, perhaps from his subjective view as he was being pulled into the singularity it may have taken centuries to complete, but for us it was over in moments. The great King Therian was gone, nothing but a small glowing blue crystal in his place. It took me a moment to process what just happened. He was gone. Forever. I had an urge to shatter the gem where it laid, furious that anything of Therian should be left behind. But I remained calm. I finally let go of Blood Rose and fell to the floor, and the Red Dragon followed suit. He's dead, the Red Dragon said quietly. He's actually dead. Yes. I breathed in deeply my hands still shaking. It is over. Finally. And that's what's left? The combined power of every soul he has ever consumed? It is, more or less. I looked at it, part in guilt, part in apprehension. You should have it. You are the oldest and are probably more deserving of it. I am way too young to have this kind of power. No. No. Pluto, I never wanted any of this, he said, gesturing to himself. 
Power was thrust upon me by Therian so I could be his attack dog. I was barely even a child before he separated me from my mother and turned me into a weapon. I never wanted power. I just… If I could not be my mother's son, then I only wished to be something to somebody. I did not know what to say, so I remained quiet. I picked the soul gem from the ground and rolled it between my fingers. It was so much smaller than I expected it to be. I turned to look at him. For what it is worth, I am sorry about your mother, for what Therian did to her and to you. I do not see you as a weapon or as a mindless attack dog. I stood up and walked over to him. You are my family, however you see yourself. I promise that you will always be family to me. I extended my hand out in front of him. He looked so small seated down in front of me, so unsure, so helpless. It took him a moment before he gently took my hand and allowed me to pull him up. Thank you. I heard him sniff quietly. I gave him a moment to compose himself before I held the soul gem out. Should we destroy this then? It is far too much power and responsibility, and it is even more dangerous to keep around. Someone could abuse its power. Hmm. Yes, someone could misuse it. However, I do not think you will. I… I… Do you seriously believe I deserve this sort of power? I can think of no other person more deserving. If you truly wish to continue your mother's work, to improve the lives of others, to help as many people as you possibly can, then I believe you will use the power of that gem responsibly. I considered what he said to me, his utter trust in my character to not misuse power like this, to not end up as another Therian. I thought back to Mother, her smile and her warmth, and her confidence in me to do what was right. I squeezed the gem in my hand and accepted its wealth. My eyes shut, and all at once I felt the massive horde of souls flood into me, into every single fiber of my being. I could feel myself glow for a brief moment as I fully digested and absorbed the massive quantity of soul stuff. When my eyes opened, I saw that the gem was gone. Nothing remained but a small ember in the center of my palm. I felt fear for the briefest of moments. I felt a spike of anxiety as I thought about the possibility of misusing my power, to discharge my strength on those weaker than me, to see the world as Therian saw it. And then, I felt the amount of faith Mother and the Red Dragon had in me. I banished those thoughts from my mind as quickly as they came. I promised that I would always be just and to always work for the benefit and betterment of others, to be a true successor to Babylon the Great, to make Mother proud of me. Thank you for believing in me, I confessed to the Red Dragon. Well. Thank you for doing the same for me earlier. He gave me a nod before turning his attention to the door of Therian's office. We need to check if what Therian said was true. Do you know where his trophy room is located? Yes, we do. Please follow me. I picked up Bloodrose and led him to Therian's trophy room. We swung the doors open and walked in. I had never truly been in his trophy room before. 
I had always done my best to avoid it, if not for my own extreme discomfort at the mere existence of it, then for Therian's threat of violence should I break anything inside. We were surrounded by skulls, countless numbers of them, with the most prominent among them having their own ornate display. I scanned each plaque, searching for mother. Instead, I found one singular display empty, with enough space for a skull and a weapon to hang above it. I did not need to guess who that display was intended for. The red dragon put a hand on my shoulder. I am sorry, Pluto. It appears that Therian was telling the truth this time. My heart sank as I tried to hold back my tears. Mother truly was gone, hidden away by Therian. I felt the red dragon squeeze my shoulder reassuringly before he spoke to me. Wherever it is he hid her, I promise I will do all I can to find her. I promise we'll bring her back. Thank you, I sighed as I looked around the room in a slight daze. But what about you? What are you looking for exactly? If Therian were telling the truth, then his mother would not be there, would she? He scanned the room once, twice, before his eyes stopped on a small closed cabinet at the far end of the room. I can feel it. It's in there, he said, as he walked towards it. What is? The answer to whether or not my mother is dead. He was tense, his shoulders and hands shaking as he threw open the doors of the cabinet. My eyes widened and I gasped. I did not believe what I saw. In the center of the cabinet, floating above a small circular pedestal, was an angel's halo, a glory. From the looks of it, it belonged to a member of heaven's upper class. It was broken, snapped in half. However, it still glowed. It was still active. The red dragon took it out slowly and held it in both hands. He turned to speak to me. Before she was taken away from me, my mother gave me two things, my name and half of her glory. She kept both the secret from Therian. She told me that she would always be with me as long as I had her glory and that, that she would find me again someday. His hands trembled as he squeezed the glory. I tried to hide it from him, from Therian, but he found it. He took it from me and punished me for hiding things from him. I thought he disposed of it. I hoped for so, so long that he had it here as a trophy, but I could never know. He held the glory tighter, afraid that he would ever lose it again. I have it back. Her glory is still active. Somewhere, my mother is still alive. He could barely hide the relief and happiness that flooded into his voice. You promised to help find my mother, so allow me to do the same for you, I said, putting my hand to his back. We will find them, the both of them, my mother and yours. We will rescue them from wherever they may be, and we will do so together. The red dragon looked at me for a moment before he did something that I never saw him do up to this point. He smiled. I knew I was right to trust you. He regarded the glory carefully before placing it on his head. Despite its broken status, it locked perfectly into place and glowed brighter than it did before. I've never had a family before. What, 
do families even do? Well, proper introductions would be a good start. I doubt you would want to continue being the Red Dragon, that is the title of Therian's assassin. As for myself, well, Pluto Thelemon never really suited me. Oh, you wish to change your name? Yes, I do. I was planning on changing my family name to mother's maiden name, Thaddish, and maybe change my given name from Pluto, maybe to something flower-related, something that starts with a P. Petunia. I tap my chin, mulling the name over. I will have to workshop it. Petunia Thaddish has a nice ring to it. Well, it shall be a placeholder then. Now, introductions. I stuck my hand out. I am, temporarily, Petunia Thaddish. What is your name? The former Red Dragon hesitated briefly before reaching out to shake my hand. Morningstar. My mother named me Morningstar. It is a pleasure to meet you, Morningstar. If it pleases you, I would be honored if you became part of the Faddish family. But only if you want to, of course. I'd like that. He smiled again for the second time in his life. I am glad. I imagine this is all a bit overwhelming and we have a lot of work ahead of us. However, I am not worried. We can figure it out from here. Item number SCP-7603-D Level 3 Confidential Containment Class Neutralized Special Containment Procedures Containment procedures have been deemed no longer necessary. Description SCP-7603 was the sapient, pseudo-indestructible skeleton of the royal Tartarian entity, Babylon. Through empathetic readings, it has been determined that this entity is able to hear its surroundings, despite not possessing auditory sensory organs. The object gave off trace amounts of TRE radiation, comparable to 12% of what would be expected of the typical complete Tartarian specimen. The object appears to be the skull of a jackal-like species, most closely resembling that of a golden jackal, Canis aureus. However, it is notably larger than that of a typical member of the species it mimics, and is comprised of soul stuff. The object does not possess nerve or sinus entry points. Its brain case had previously been completely airtight prior to its termination. Like the typical skull of a Tartarian entity, the object was almost completely indestructible. Only implements that have been blessed against Tartarian entities would be capable of penetrating it. Inside its brain case was an amount of liquid soul stuff which functioned as its brain. When held or touched by a Tartarian entity, that subject would have been capable of forming a temporary one-way empathetic link with the object. The Tartarian subject was capable of sensing the apparent emotional state of the object which was often described as unwell. Addendum 7603-2 Date 
19 October 2022. Location, Site 666. Personnel present, Sheldon Katz, Esquire, Legal Department. Primrose Faddish Von Trevel, Esquire, Independent Contractor. Captain Adrian, Familiar, Paralegal, Emotional Support Animal, Boat Captain. Dr. Astia Faddish Von Trevel, Wife of Primrose Faddish Von Trevel. Morningstar Faddish, half-brother of Primrose Faddish Von Trevel. Forward. After gaining expedited review from the Ethics Committee, Board of Directors, Primrose Faddish Von Trevel Esquire's request for the object's decommissioning was granted. Because of her efforts in the 2022 SCP-IRS Accords, Primrose Faddish Von Trevel's immediate family was permitted to observe. Begin log. Katz Von Trevel and her family sit around conference room B's table. Adrian hovers between Morningstar and Astia's head. Good afternoon, everyone. Shall we begin? Yes, yes, I'm ready. It's about time. Why did it take two whole months to get this ready? Foundation paperwork. Mostly due to having four, technically five, demons in the same room on site. We also had to prepare for October. You know how that month is. Ugh, why must I get in the way, though? The expense was a mere cheese platter, a bullet, and a prayer. All when Mia Rosa could simply tap her mother on the head. Why even bring in some filthy, blessed thing into the equation? That's partially why it took so long. We aren't doing that. I felt bringing holy bullets to a demon funeral would be a bit tasteless. So, Prim and I have been negotiating something with the ethics board for her appeal. Prim's allowed custody of what's left after Babylon's decommission. In exchange for allowing me to peacefully euthanize Mother and gain possession of her soul gem, Morningstar has agreed to assist the Foundation in researching and developing munitions effective against angels and demons, as well as training MTF teams and sharing his knowledge on fighting both. The negotiations were rather difficult. Nah, bullshit. You did great, baby. Best negotiations I've ever been a part of. Yes, well, the flashcards you prepared for me were extremely helpful. Of course they were. I'm the best emotional support imp slash boyfriend around. Thank you. And do not think I have forgotten about our promise, Morningstar. I know you haven't. Thank you. Adrian places their hand on Morningstar's shoulder. Yeah, big guy. We always got your back. Seriously, though, I'm thinking we're ready. Should I bring her in? Please. Cat's motions to the guards. A moment later, a portable containment locker containing SCP-7603 is brought in and set on the table. May I... May I hold her? Of course. Von Trevel lifts the object and holds it out so that she can look. Um, hello, Babylon. That feels odd. Well, 
I suppose I should introduce myself. It has been just under 2,000 years, and I have grown up a bit. My name is Primrose Fattish von Treville, but you knew me as your son, Pluto Thelemon. I am your daughter. I'm her familiar and bestie. I'm her wife. Pleasure to meet you. Regina Babylon. You know who I am. I can feel her. She's surprised. Relieved. She's happy. And she's concerned. I suppose I should tell you what you missed. Therian is dead. As you might have guessed from him not coming back for you. Morningstar... Uh, you knew him as the Red Dragon, but Morningstar helped. Ma'am, you raised a wonderful daughter. I'm happy to have acted as a guardian. He was instrumental in killing Therian. And I could not have done it without him, or you. I am surprisingly not good at this, am I? <laughs> She feels a bit of humor. Well, <laughs> right. Well, he suffered. And I inherited his power, so of course I am doing well enough. But more importantly, I, I have people who actually care for me now. Just as much as you did. I wanted to just say, thank you for being there for me and giving me the tools I needed to fix things as best I can. It is only fair that I return the favor. Von Trevel gestures, and an ornate thorned pitchfork appears in her hands. Are you, um, ready to go? I had thought about this day for centuries. I am glad, glad that I could not only bring you your last moment, but ensure it is a positive one. I love you, and I never stopped loving you. Von Trevel sets the object on the table and gently places her hand on its temple for a moment. She stands and softly places her weapon against its forehead. Uh, goodbye, Mother. I owe Babylon. After Von Trevel exhales, the room is filled with a soft purple light for one millisecond. In the object's place lays a small, dull, purple crystal. Von Trevel doesn't move for several moments. A faint whimper can be heard. Rose. Mia Rosa? Are you okay? <sighs> she was. She was proud of me.
Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, join my Discord community, hire me on Fiverr, or help support me by becoming a patron for as little as $3 a month. Regardless of tier, all patrons get early access to every single episode. The links are in the description. I don't have the talent it takes to write a skip. All I do is read. Original authors make this podcast possible, so credit to the original author. Their link's in the description. Show them some love as well. Consider becoming a member of the SCP Wiki. Upvote their work and maybe write a skip of your own. Maybe I'll read it here someday. You never know if you never try. The content of this podcast and content relating to the SCP Foundation, including the SCP Foundation logo, is licensed under Creative Commons ShareLite 3.0, and all concepts originate from scpwiki.com and its authors. This recording, being derived from this content, is hereby also released under Creative Commons ShareLite 3.0. I'm Grigori Carpin from Simply Creative People, the podcast where we discuss GOIs, canons, and stories from the SCP Wiki, and we try to recommend things for all fans of the Wiki, new and old. Look for us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. Visit the show page at anchor.fm slash simply-creative-people. Or follow us on Twitter at S-I-M-C-R-E-A-T. Hey there, this is DJ Skip, host of Foundation After Midnight Radio, coming to you from the only third shift broadcast for personnel, by personnel. Be sure to tune in wherever you listen to podcasts to not miss out on containment news and community announcements from within the Foundation.